Hello and welcome to the weekly commodity market update. I'm Brownfield's Will Robinson, joined as always by the University of Missouri's Ben Brown. Ben, how's it going? You know, I'm doing all right, Will. I uh, So as you know, I'm a big K-State sports fan. I went, did my undergrad at Kansas State University, and we got a big in-state victory last night over our in-state rivals. So I'm pretty excited about that. Woke up a little bit disappointed this morning at the news of Toby Keith, but, you know, um, wish him and he's or wish his family well as they go through this process. So, so a, a pretty big roller coaster of emotions to start things out or start the day that's out right. and then close last night out. But uh, looking at, at a roller coaster, that's something the markets really haven't been on for uh, the last couple of weeks now. We saw a little bit of strength coming into wheat briefly and then that kind of dissipated um over the course of the week so i'm going to give you a full rundown of where we sit right now march 24 corn is up two cents at 442 december 24 corn up three cents at 477 march soybeans up two cents at 1196 november soybeans down four cents at 1176 soybean oil on a cents per pound basis was down uh, 0.23 cents at 45.33 soybean meal by the short ton up 680 at thir- uh, 361.10 uh, that March uh, wheat crop down three cents at five ninety. July wheat down six cents at six oh three. And then the crude oil prices um, by the barrel down three dollars and ninety four cents at seventy two eighty four for that April contract. So Ben, we saw some you know light gains in some areas, light losses in others, but really still kind of moving sideways along here, uh, you know, week over week. Sure. Yeah. One of the big things that popped up over the last week that you know, um, led to some, I guess, just further deterioration maybe in this deflationary period that we're in for the commodity sector is economic reports and economic numbers continue to come out, you know, surprisingly strong. Um, and again, it just fits into that that message of our resilient economy. And, and I know there's people out there facing inflation and, and uh, budgets are getting pinched, but you know, a lot of the indicators that we're looking at from a job standpoint and even just really an unemployment and and uh, consumer price index and consumer confidence just keep coming in stronger than expectations. And that's going to keep the pressure on the Federal Reserve to, to maintain their position on interest rates. And it's creating a higher U.S. dollar relative to other currencies. And that creates headwinds for U.S. commodities. And so um, that that has been plaguing us for a while. And I think it was just, again, once re- reminded last week as as we saw key economic numbers come out. Well, and Ben, you know, noting those jobs reports that you saw, uh, you know, a little bit uh, more uh, vibrant maybe than expected, but there, there was a little bit of, uh, I guess, I don't know if conflicting numbers would be the, the right uh, right way to put it. But um, so looking at the jobs creations, the, those were up. Uh, of double pre-report expectations, like you've noted it in some of your reports here uh, recently. But uh, you also noted that un- unemployment benefits exceeded expectations along with those. So what, what does that mean whenever you see those two things both kind of move upward? Well, so, you know, the the doubling of the jobs in January were other than what we anticipated. Um, so three, almost 353,000 jobs compared to an expected 170,000 jobs. You know, that's very bullish. Um, continues to show that, or I shouldn't say bullish, but that's that's very strong, and that um, you know that means that there's you know people still looking, you know, creating jobs, still looking for workers, 
And then to see the unemployment number stay at 3.7% instead of going up to an expected 3.8% just means that we continue to see, you know, that jobs are created and they're continuing to fight for workers. That's triggering more into the hourly pay. Uh, you know, we're seeing stronger hourly pay increases rather than like, you know, people switching jobs and getting higher, higher jobs by switching jobs. But all of that, all of that connects to what I just said, you know, a few moments ago about this just continues to keep pressure on the Federal Reserve to maintain interest rates where they're at. And, and frankly, if we get to the back end of the year, it is an election season, but if we get to the back end of the year and we start to see inflation start to kind of creep back in um, due to consumer confidence coming back and, and things like that, you know, uh, when I say consumer confidence coming back, we've seen very strong consumer confidence indexes relative to expected here as of late. That has the potential to spark inflation in, again, like to start increasing inflation again. And the Federal Reserve might be forced to increase rates. Uh, the expectation right now is that they're going to cut rates yeah, at least by a point to a point and a half by December of this year. And, and I just, I, I have a hard time seeing that. Yeah. So uh, a lot of water to go under the bridge before we decide where that goes. Uh, but talking about it being an election year, one of the notable news events that uh, occurred earlier this week, uh, you know, uh, Donald Trump mentioned that if he were reelected, he would be opposing about a 60 percent tariff on Chinese uh, trade. So looking where that sits, you know, what what would that mean looking at maybe a trade war 2.0 with China, uh, you know, po as a possibility in the future? What could that mean for the ag sector? Well, so you raise a, a really good point or a really good question. Um you know, it could it could open a can of worms across a multitude of, of discussion points. Um, just as a quick reminder, you know, when President Trump and a lot of our listeners um, remember when President Trump was was president um, four years ago in 20, well, five years ago um, in 2018, uh, he imposed tariffs on, on the Chinese um, on goods coming into the country. Um, you know, in some ways, this was uh, protectionist policies to help increase domestic manufacturers and domestic industries like solar panel, aluminum, stuff like that, uh, steel. They retaliated with tariffs on U.S. products entering the Chinese market, which in a lot of ways is heavily dominated by ag products, agriculture products. And we, and we saw a huge deterioration of ag exports into the Chinese market. Um, what is uh, what has transpired since then. So, you know, the Biden administration has kept a lot of those tariffs in place. China has kept some of their tariffs in place as well. Not all of them, but, you know, it has it has largely continued. Now, now the candidate Trump um, is now talking about increasing those rates all the way up to 60 percent for China and then 10 percent across the board for everybody else. Um, and and this has an interesting like you know, an interesting outlook from the standpoint that like our our commodity sector is is in a little bit of a different place today than we were in 2018 from the standpoint that we have a lot of production and we got to find uses for it. Um, but we're also in the same situation now as what we were in 2018 in the fact that we're seeing some really soft demand for the product similar in 2018 you know, we had uh, African swine fever that was reducing the hog herd in China that kind of reduced demand for the product and allowed China to kind of, you know, add tariffs to soybean product and other, and other ag commodities without really hurting their domestic consumers because, again, the domestic consumers weren't buying as much. So, you know, the picture in some ways is the same, but also it's a little different too. Yeah. So, 
Well, and now you have that that unique issue, or not issue, I guess, but situation where, you know, South American exports have really been what's been dominating the market going to China, especially as, as you know, probably the marquee buyer within the, the market. And, you know, Ben, something that you shared the other day on Twitter, and uh, viewers and listeners, if you don't already follow Ben, you should on Twitter at BenBrownMU. Uh, but you shared a, a really interesting graph that showed that even though, you know, part of South America is having, um, you know, a little bit of dryness and maybe pushing down some production value, there's still a massive, massive player in the market and they're still producing more, you know, here recently than they did maybe three or four years ago when they saw even more uh, extended periods of dryness. So as we move forward here, you know, I don't want to paint too bleak of a picture, but you know, you're kind of getting squeezed from two different sides there, potentially looking at maybe a buyer trying to exit our market and then having an alternative maybe to go to. Yeah, so South America just continues to, to ramp up production, uh, even though Brazilian soybean production has, has, or at least expectations of Brazilian soybean crop has, has deteriorated. Uh, you know, it hasn't sparked markets. And part of the reason for that is twofold. One, um, it's still there, you know, expected to be their second largest crop ever. Last last year was a record by far. Um, this year, still expected to be a record. And we'd have to deteriorate a lot further to even get down to third place, right? So a lot amount, uh, you know, a huge amount of soybeans in the Brazil market to start with. Second thing, um, I have three points. Second point is Argentina production has rebounded very strongly this year from multiple years of drought, you know, looking almost at 51 million metric tons of soybean production out of Brazil, a country that last year was in the upper two, 20s to lower 30s for most of the year in terms of expected production. So an extra 20 to 25 million metric tons just out of Argentina alone. Um, that is helping you know offset some of these cuts we're seeing in Brazil. Although again, it's the second largest crop expected for Brazil. And then the third thing is a lot of Brazilian producers are just sitting on a lot of old, unsold grain. And so given the opportunity to move that product to the market is creating cash bids that are very low and it's creating opportunities for global consumers to enter that cash market, buy soybeans and have them shipped to different places cheaper than what they could buy them from the U.S. or, you know, other other sources of a product. Well, and seeing the situation unfold, something that uh, we might get a little bit more insight in coming up on Thursday uh, is USDA's February supply and demand report, uh, you know, looking at all, all these things. So, Ben, here, winding down here real quick, do you have any early expectations for what that report might look like coming out later this week? Yeah, so <clears throat> the the trade estimates that came out earlier this week, and these are kind of a summary of what analysts expect for the report, and they kind of come up with a midpoint. There's two comments that I, I would like to make. In in general, um, you know, the 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 commodities, corn, soybeans, and wheat, and others, but those three in particular, the expected outcomes are in a relatively wide range, uh, meaning that I think there's quite a bit of uncertainty here in terms of what's, what's going to happen. I don't know if there's broad uncertainty in the eventual outcome or just uncertainty in terms of at what point does USDA make cuts to different demand sectors. I think that might be actually where the, the uncertainty comes from, because I think when you look at some of these products, you know, like soybeans, for instance, 
I think eventually USDA uh, will will make a revision to U.S. soybean exports. Um, our our soybean pace here, as of late, just has not been able to you know maintain where we need to be. Plus, we're already in a hole, so we need to be exceeding you know historical levels just to even catch back up. And so, I think they will have to make adjustments. Some of that's going to be offset with a higher crush value. On the wheat side, I think they got to make export adjustments as well on the wheat side to the downside. And when I look at these trade estimates, you know, the, the average midpoint of all these, these estimates is actually lower, calling for tighter stocks than where we were in January. And again, I think that's partially just due to timing. Maybe, maybe USDA doesn't make these revisions until March or, or April. Um, I certainly think they could do it here in February, and I wouldn't be surprised to see higher ending stocks here in February than what USDA was in January and what the market is currently anticipating for February. So uh, a lot to uh, to look forward to within that report. Uh, ben, including that report, looking at the rest of the week, what should farmers and ranchers be paying attention to? Yeah, we don't have uh, anything really out, you know, new uh, relative to last week. Last week was kind of a big week with a lot of uh, beginning of the month uh, reports coming out. This week, it's pretty our, pretty much our standard um, standard week, except for on Thursday, as we just talked about. You know, we get those USDA updated supply and demand reports Thursday at 11 a.m. Central. All right, Ben, it's always a pleasure to have your knowledge here on the program. Viewers and listeners, if you'd like to learn more about us and what we do or our sister program, the weekly livestock market update, you can do so at brownfieldagnews.com. Ben, thanks again. I'm Will Robinson on Brownfield.